are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Hey, good morning, Sojourn Church. Uh, This is our fourth Sunday now where we are not able to gather together, but I'm thankful that we can gather together around God's word virtually and hope that this time has been encouraging to you and will continue to be encouraging to you. I miss you. I'm continuing to pray for you uh, as we find ourselves in this time where we are separate from one another. Before we jump into some prayer and jump into the preaching of God's word this morning, I just wanted to uh, highlight a couple of things that are coming up. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, which means we're at the beginning of the week of Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, But I want to let you know about two things that are coming up. This Friday is Good Friday, the time when we mark when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And we're actually going to be uh, celebrating that along with Redeeming Grace Church. Uh, I'm going to be preaching the Good Friday sermon, but we're going to be doing some other elements with Redeeming Grace Church. That will be live streamed on Friday evening. So we'll be posting some things on our website and social media this week just to make plans uh, to be able to engage with us for the Good Friday service this coming Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we're actually going to be doing our own Easter sermon and have songs and liturgy put together for you for Easter Sunday so that we can celebrate as a church. And you can invite friends and others to join with you in celebrating Easter from the comfort of their own homes uh, during this time. But we just want to celebrate the resurrection of Christ together. So make plans for both of those things, Good Friday service and then our Easter Sunday uh, service as well. So as we now get ready to dive into God's word, let's just pray together. So would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you this morning and, and we just pray that as we are opening up your word now, as we are seeking to see Jesus more clearly in our own lives, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart and our mind, that we would be able to actually see Christ for who he truly is. So God, I pray that you'd help us right now in this moment to set aside distractions, to set aside other things that are going on, whether there's literal distractions in front of us of kids running around or other things going on in our home, or just the distractions and the noisiness of our minds right now with worry and anxiety and things that may be pressing in on us about all that's going on in our world. God, I pray that right now in this moment, as we gather together as your people around your word, God, I pray that you would one, help us to feel united to one another, but also God, to be united to you, that even for this next few moments that you would just calm and quiet us before you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd use this time in your word to help us to fix our gaze on Christ, that you would be honored, you would be glorified. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd work in this time for your glory, God, and for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Frank Abagnale Jr. was born at the end of April in 1948 in New York. And between ages 15 and 21, he pulled off some of the most ridiculous and amazing cons in known history. He became an expert at uh, bank fraud and check uh, fraud, just forging checks, being able to, to, to make a fake check so look so real that that it was really difficult to detect whether it was real or phony. But one of the most amazing cons that he pulled off was impersonating a pilot for uh, an airline that no longer exists, Pan Am Airlines. And and he got a uniform, he got a fake ID badge, he even uh, forged a pilot's license. And Pan Am estimates that he flew some 1 million miles on roughly 250 flights for free. 
Now, all this craziness was, was chronicled in the movie Catch Me If You Can. Maybe you saw that a few years ago. But eventually, Abagnale was caught. He was put on trial, was convicted, and sentenced to 12 years in jail for his uh, imposter for being a fake in all this that he did. He was a fraud. He wasn't really who he said that he was. Well, in our text today, we see Jesus also makes some pretty outrageous claims about himself, some pretty ridiculously sounding, astounding claims about himself. And the authorities in Jesus's day didn't just want to arrest Jesus. They actually wanted Jesus to be killed for the things that he was saying about himself because they also thought that Jesus was a fraud and Jesus was a fake, and Jesus was an imposter. Well, so Jesus responds, and in his response, what we see in our text this morning are some of the most important truths about Christ in all the scriptures. These few verses we're going to look at today, but these verses we're going to look at and these truths that we're going to look at aren't intended to be just kind of theological statements that would remain out here but theological or theological statements that just would remain in our heads, kind of just being an academic exercise. But these are truths about Christ that impact our life in a significant way. If we'll actually take them for what they are and believe them to be true and impact the entirety of our lives, which means for you, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, we need to pay attention to what Jesus says about himself. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, we need to wrestle with the things that Jesus proclaims and declares about himself and continue to wrestle with the most important question that you can ask or answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And that's what we've been trying to answer in this sermon series that we're in right now in the gospel of John called Seeing Jesus. We really want to see Jesus rightly so that we can follow him fully. As I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Easter week, and this coming Sunday is Easter Sunday. And we're not able to gather together as we would hope to or want to during this season. But what I want us to see, even now, in our time together this morning, as we walk through this next week heading into Easter, is that the truth about who Jesus is, who he really and truly is, it surpasses our separation. It transcends our social distancing right now. And these truths can lead us and should lead us to honor Christ and to worship him precisely because of who he is, even as we find ourselves in this place right now. And so that's our hope for today. That's our goal for today is that we would see Jesus more clearly and respond and worship precisely because of who he says he is. So with that, let's dive into John 5 this morning, and may we see Jesus more clearly today. I'll be reading from John 5, verses 18 through 24. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. It'll be on the screen as well. This is what John writes. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, 
that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Where we pick up in our story this morning is directly connected to what we looked at last week, the text we looked at last week. It's, it's a, the same scene even. The scene hasn't changed. It's just going a bit deeper to what's going on or what has already taken place in this scene. Last week, we saw that Jesus healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, a man who, who wasn't able to heal himself, fix his problem or his remedy. Jesus comes along and he speaks to that man and he tells him to, to get up and he heals him from his, his inability to walk and he he walks for the first time in, in maybe his whole life or at least a long time. And so we see this scene take place, but the religious leaders are upset. They're upset because Jesus did this miracle. He did this work on the Sabbath. And these religious leaders, they're more concerned with and more focused on the fact that Jesus did this on the Sabbath than the fact that Jesus did it at all. That this man who once was unable to walk, was an invalid, now can walk. They're not amazed by that. They're upset that he did this work on the Sabbath day. See, the Sabbath was a day of rest. In fact, the word Sabbath means rest. And it was a part of God's law, his creation mandate to us and what he gave to us. So God modeled the Sabbath for us. If we go back to Genesis, we see that on the seventh day, it says God rested from his work of creation. But he also gave the Sabbath as a gift to his people. He instituted it as a gift. See, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, are experts in the law. They know God's law forward and backward. And when we come to the Ten Commandments, we see that the fourth commandment in this list of Ten Commandments, which is really just the beginning of God's law, tells us something specific about the Sabbath day. It says to keep the Sabbath holy, working six days, but resting and not working on the seventh day. Now, when we talk about God's commandments, we have to see that all of God's commandments are for your good and for your joy, that God gives them to us to say, this is a way for you to walk in obedience to me, to live the good life that I've called you to live. They're a gift to us. And so when God gives us the gift of the Sabbath, he's giving us this as a gift to cause us to rest, to recognize that we aren't God, but we can trust in him who is always over everything, sovereign and in control of all things. It's an opportunity for us to learn to rest. So because of this, the Jewish leaders, because they knew the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, they knew God's law, they saw Jesus do this miracle on the Sabbath day and it upsets them. They get frustrated with it. They're angry about it because they see Jesus violating the Sabbath, essentially breaking the law by healing this man. But notice how Jesus responds to them. Look back at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So this is where we need to slow down a bit. We need to slow down and we need to make sure that we're really getting what Jesus is seeking to communicate here, because it really provides kind of the basis for everything else he's about to say. See, for Jesus to call God father would have been maybe not a normal thing that people would have done, but it wouldn't have been completely out of the ordinary or abnormal. In the Jewish tradition, when they gathered together in corporate worship, there were times when they would refer to God as our father or the giver of life. 
What's unusual here is that Jesus isn't in corporate worship. He's standing around talking to people. He isn't in corporate worship and he doesn't refer to God as our father. What does it say? Look at verse 17. He refers to God as my father, my father. This was not a normal thing for anyone who worshiped God to do, to refer to God as my father. In this short, simple statement, he's actually making a very profound statement. To say, my father is working and he is also working is a declaration not only that Jesus is associating himself with God and being the Lord of the Sabbath, but that he is actually God, equal with him. That was extremely upsetting for these religious leaders. For Jesus to associate himself in that way, they saw what Jesus was saying and doing as being blasphemous. And it's why they react the way that they do. Look at verse 18 again. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, these religious leaders, they they at least taught, though sometimes it seems that they missed the forest for the trees. They taught that God alone should be feared, that he should be revered, that he should be worshiped and honored above anything and everything else. If we go back to the Ten Commandments again, the first commandment within the Ten Commandments tells us this. It's kind of the header of all other commandments. You shall have no other gods before me or besides me. It's me alone, God says, that should be worshiped. So when Jesus makes this statement, the religious leaders took it very seriously, very seriously but they took it in the wrong way. See, they they misunderstood what it was that Jesus was communicating here. And so Jesus seeks to explain it to them to make it crystal clear for them and for us. Look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does Likewise, Jesus has just healed a man. He's just saved a man from his sin, telling him to go and sin no more. But this was not as some rogue agent or some self-dependent person. No, as the son, he only does what he sees his father doing. And that's why he does this work. See, Jesus has a view of the sovereign will of God that no one else has. He's able to see the Father at work and see the Spirit at work as the eternal Son, as a part of the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's able to see the will of God at work in all facets, in all ways that no one else has a view of. Jesus sees that. He sees it and he does likewise. He's in concert with the Father, not as an imitator. Right? We can read this and think, okay, son and the father, like my kids sometimes imitate me. They'll, they'll put on my clothes and pretend that they're me, or they'll pretend to be some other character or person when they play make-believe or pretend games. They're imitating something. Jesus isn't saying, I, I'm imitating the father. I'm seeking to pretend to be like him. No, what he's saying is I have the same essence as the father. I have the same power as the father. I have the same authority as the father, which he teases out here in a moment. He's doing the same things as the Father and with the Father. This means that what Jesus says and what Jesus teaches, what he does, is because of all and all his words and all his actions are rooted in his authority as God. So what we have to see Jesus saying, in short, is this. I am not another God. 
I'm not a competing God. I am God co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit as the eternal Son. In the next few verses, Jesus highlights three specific ways that that's the case. We see the first one, verses 20 and 21, that Jesus has the ability to give life. The ability to give life. Look at verses 20 and 21. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Greater works will be done in Jesus. Greater works will be done through Jesus. As we look ahead to his life and ministry, the world will marvel at it. He, he's alluding to what's going to happen. All the miracles that he's going to do, the, the crazy things that he's going to show, that people are going to be in awe of the works that he's done. We're going to see those unfold throughout the Gospel of John. But he's even more specifically referring to what's going to culminate in his life and ministry, that he's going to go and die a sacrificial death and have a glorious resurrection that we're going to celebrate next week. Again, Jesus highlights what the God the Father does. God raises people from the dead. God gives people life. But Jesus is saying it isn't just the Father that does that. I do that as well. That I have the ability and the power and the holy prerogative to give life to whoever I will. Now, again, no one argued that God the Father could do this kind of thing. No one argued that God the Father was able to raise up new life and give life. He is the giver of life. What the religious leaders would be astounded by, the people in Jesus' culture and surroundings would be astounded by, is that Jesus is saying that he is able to do that himself apart from the Father, but in concert with him. He's claiming to have power and authority that only God has. And Jesus certainly does and can raise people from the dead. We see that unfold throughout the Gospel of John. But what he's pointing to is his saving work on the cross. What he's pointing to is the fact that real life, lasting life, will come in and through him and him alone, which he highlights more specifically in verse 24. And we'll zero in on that in a moment. But see, what he just did with this invalid, this this man who was unable to walk, is an example of this. He, He met this man's physical needs. He came to him and spoke to him, and he met his physical needs in a supernatural way. And he also met his spiritual need in a supernatural way, something that only God can do. But that's not the only way that he definitively declares that he is God. He is, has the ability to give life, but he also has the ability to judge. Look at verse 22. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Again, the Jewish religious leaders would have said, yes, that's right. God, the father is the judge of all humanity. But here Jesus is saying, no, it's not the Father who actually is going to exact judgment. The Father has given me, the Son, the eternal Son, the ability to judge all of humanity. This is a huge statement. And Jesus will talk more about judgment in verse 24 and in our text next week for Easter. But what's important to see here is that Jesus is asserting very, very strong truth about himself. He alone is the judge of all humanity. And it's because of these two declarations that Jesus makes, because of the fact that Jesus says that he's the giver of life, because Jesus says that he has the ability and the power and the prerogative to judge all of humanity, that leads him to make this third and final declaration that he is God. And and I think it's actually the most significant declaration that he makes 
He says that he deserves honor and worship. He deserves honor and worship, just like God the Father. Look at verse 23. In light of saying all that, he says that, here's the reason or the, the result of that, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, the religious leaders, they, they sought to carry out the second commandment. The second commandment, which is to not bow down to any false god or carved idol or image. Yahweh alone was to be worshipped. He was to be revered. He was to be the one that you would submit yourself to fully and completely. And you would praise him and honor him and give him all glory. We see that throughout the scriptures that God is jealous for his glory. He's jealous for his worship. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8, God says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. That's definitive in how God sees himself and how we should see him, that we should worship him in that way. But here, Jesus is very clearly saying something so significant. He's saying, if you don't honor me, if you don't honor Christ, then you don't actually worship God. You don't honor him at all. I mean, that's an amazing statement. See, we have to see something in this. If we just even focus on this one verse here, what Jesus is saying to us and to these religious leaders is this. Jesus isn't some pseudo God. He, he's not some smaller God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a made or created God. He's not an ambassador for God. He is the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the one who calls all things together. He is the eternal son that all of creation was made by, through, and for. And he holds everything together and goes before us in every way. He took on humanity and came to dwell among us to actually explain God to us. We have to see Christ exalted in this way that he deserves all honor and deserves all worship. And we really need to see that right now in our lives and in our world. We need to see Christ exalted in this way that he is God with everything that's going on around us, that our, we have a right understanding and a right view of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So listen, if you want to know God, if you want to truly worship Him and honor Him with your life, then it must be in and through Jesus that you do that that you worship and follow Christ in your life. True worship of God is not true unless you're also worshiping and honoring Jesus too. Now, how in the world can Jesus say something like this? I mean, is he an imposter and an impersonator like Frank Abagnale was? Is he a fake? Is he a fraud? How can he say something like this? The only way that he can say something like this about himself is, is, is if it's actually true. So all of this leads Jesus to make a bold, underlined, kind of concluding statement. We see in verse 24. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is a, a therefore kind of statement. Jesus is saying, therefore, in light of everything I've just said about myself, you guys were upset that I healed this man on the Sabbath. You didn't care about the fact that I told him he was forgiven of his sin. 
And this is who I am. I'm the giver of life. I'm the judge of all humanity. And I deserve all honor and all praise and all worship. In light of that, in light of those words, if you hear those words and you believe them and you believe the one who sent me, the God you say that you honor, the God you say you worship, the God you say that you're seeking to obey, then and only then will you have eternal life. Then and only then will you have eternal life. Salvation that all of us need to be rescued from the judgment, the rightful judgment that all of us deserve for the rebellion that we've all committed as we've turned away from God, as we've sought to go our own way, as we said, God, we don't need you. I can be the own, my own God, my own Lord, the own ki- my own King, the own master of my own life. That's rebellion against God. It's placing our worship on anything and everything except him. And we need to be rescued from that. We need to be rescued from that in order to be led to this way everlasting life with and before a holy God. See, what we see in Jesus is that he, as the eternal son, has uninterrupted communion with God. And Jesus, as the eternal son, allows us and enables us to have communion with God also. And he does that by living a perfect life that he took on humanity He followed God's commands and God's law perfectly. He modeled for us what obedience looks like, perfection looks like. And then he went willingly to a cross and he died on that cross that the wrath of God might be satisfied, that God poured out all judgment and all wrath on Christ so that you could be set free. You could be forgiven of your rebellion and your sin. And then Jesus rose again from the grave to declare that it is truly finished. And this eternal life that begins now, when you place your faith in Christ, when you actually trust in him and believe him, who he really is and what he really came to do, it begins now and it will continue on for all eternity, never to be lost. See, this belief that Jesus speaks about, it involves not only placing your faith in Christ, but actually repenting of a life that you've been living apart from Christ. And that's what this is like. This is what this idea of belief. It's both placing your faith in and turning away. That's what repentance is. Turning away from the life you've been living to seek to follow Christ. To see your mind and your heart transformed and renewed. To walk in obedience with King Jesus now. See, Jesus can give life to anyone who might believe in him, who will believe in him. He can give life because in him is life. And life is the light of men, as it says in John 1, a light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness that cannot overcome this light, it it will not overcome this light. It has not overcome it. This is why he deserves all honor and all glory and all praise. It's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, after explaining Jesus' humility and going to the cross for sinners like you and me, he declares this, Therefore, In light of Jesus' sacrificial death for us, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, when you see Jesus for who he truly is and rightly is and worship him and rejoice in him, God is glorified. God is honored. God is praised. And that's the purpose of all of our lives. In the shorter catechism, the first question says, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is your purpose in life? What are you supposed to be about in life? And the answer is short and succinct 
but powerful. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The way that you and I can do that is in and through Christ. To be set free from our rebellion and our false worship and to focus all of our worship and all of our praise on Christ. We look to him and are satisfied in our Savior. So let me ask you again this morning, who do you say Jesus is? Not not what someone else says, not something you just read in a book. Who do you say Jesus is? Because see, how you answer that question has profound impact, not only on your life now, but forever. Jesus has told you and he'll continue to tell you who he really is and who he truly is. And he'll demonstrate that for us as we continue to journey through the gospel of John, seeking to see Christ. But do you really see him that way? Do you really see him that way? Because listen, Jesus either is who he says he is, God in human flesh, or he's out of his mind. He's insane and he shouldn't be followed or listened to at all. So so if you're one of those people who looks to the things that Christ says, says, yeah, you know, I don't know about all that stuff about Jesus being God or eternal life and blah, blah, blah. But man, Jesus said some good things and, and he was a good teacher. I want you to listen to yourself. What you're saying is, is that you're taking wisdom for your life from a man who is out of his mind. But that's not who Jesus is. He's not a man out of his mind. He is actually Lord, and he's demonstrated that for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Listen, none of us can be half in and half out with Jesus. You can't be half in and half out with Jesus. He's either all in with Jesus or all out. So where do you find yourself this morning? And listen, followers of Jesus, I want to press in on you with that same question as well. Who do you say Jesus is? Are you just giving a head nod to Jesus during your life, in the midst of your life? It's kind of your ticket to heaven, but you're not listening to and seeking to see your life conformed to his life-giving and life-shaping words in your own life right now. We honor him now. We worship him now. We give praise to him now. We give glory to him now by following him in obedience in the midst of our life right now, by continuing to walk in faith and repentance, giving him all of our affections, that Jesus really holds a place of reverence in our life, sitting on the throne of our life, that we would bow down to him and worship him in everything that we think and say and do. So is that the reality for your life? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, are you actually following him? Are you seeking to live a life of honor and worship before him? Does he hold that place of reverence in your life right now? Earthly kings, I mean, just think about this. Earthly kings, earthly queens, men and women who have power over their countries, over their dominions, over the areas that they're in in their control, they consult counsel in their leadership. They consult counsel in making decisions, but the king of kings consults no one but himself. No one but himself because his ways are perfect. His will is perfect. Even if we as finite human beings don't see all the facets of that working out in our life. And that's especially important right now with everything that's going on in our world right now, with all the uncertainty that's going on and and the fear and anxiety that's rising up within us. And we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know how much worse things are going to get. And it seems as if they're going to get worse. Are we trusting Jesus to be the sovereign King that he says he is? So who is he to you? Is he a theoretical King that you seek to follow? You seek to worship when things are going relatively well in your life? 
Or is he the sovereign king that you continue to follow, you can continue to trust in, even if you don't know exactly what he's up to? Trusting him in all circumstances, in all times. Will you bow your knee to Jesus? Will you bow your knee to Jesus in genuine faith and repentance? Or will you wait until the last day when it's too late? When Jesus comes again and everyone then will see him for who he truly is. And everyone then will say, yes, he is who he said he was and is. The king who comes in power to judge the living and the dead. Listen, real rescue, real rescue in your life right now comes when you really listen to Jesus. What he says about himself and what he came to do. He's not a fraud. He's not a fake. He's no pseudo king who sits on a shaky throne. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last who has come and will come again. So turn to him today. Turn to him today by way of real and genuine faith and true and genuine repentance. Whether that's for the very first time in your life, maybe you're realizing right now that you've maybe said that you've trusted in Christ, but you never really truly have. Or maybe you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. Turn to him in genuine faith and real repentance today. Or for those of you that have been following Christ for a long time, do it again today for the thousandth time. Not because you don't already have eternal life, but because you've strayed from worshiping and honoring Christ in your life. Turn to him today. Find rest and peace in him. In him and him alone is life. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. You know, now during our service is the time we would normally take communion. But in this time of separation, we aren't able to do that. Because communion is something you do together in the context of your community, your gathered church together. And so I want to keep reminding us of that because I want us to continue to lament and be sad over the fact that we aren't able to do that right now and long for the day and the time that we will be able to. So instead of taking communion this morning, I want to encourage you just to take some time right now before we continue to worship through song together, to take some time to pray and to process and just think about what Jesus has said about himself. Think about whether or not you are worshiping him and following him and honoring him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Timothy, I mean, excuse me, Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter two and says this about Jesus and about our own lives. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Brothers and sisters, pray this morning that the eyes of your heart would be opened and cleared, that you would set your gaze on Jesus, Jesus who is God and Savior, sovereign rescuer over all creation and all humanity. Pray that God would open your eyes and clear your eyes so that you might follow him in faith and obedience until he comes again or calls you home. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we pray that you would be exalted, that we believe that you are who you say you are. You are God and you are Savior. You are the Lord of all creation. So God, we pray that we would focus in on Christ. Jesus, we pray that we would focus in on you. Help us to truly believe that about you, to live like that is actually true especially right now in these times of uncertainty and difficulty. 
You are our only hope, Jesus, in life and death. May we live that way. May we honor you in that way. And may we tell the world about you. Be exalted, Christ. We long for you to make all things new. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.